On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, hi and welcome to all of you who are joining us today. Uh, the, t- the title of our show today is State of the World, so all of the show notes are going to be residing on the current issues on the Constitution.com website, and if you scroll down, you will find State of the World, which is the name of this podcast, and then click on that, and you will find our show notes there. And today uh, with me, well, first of all, my name is Felice Gerwitz. I think I was so excited about getting started, <laughs> I forgot to introduce myself. So um, if you're new, welcome. Uh, my name is Felice Gerwitz, and with me on the line is Professor Wilson, who has done an outstanding job on these show notes for today. And so um, I'm excited to get started because we have an awful lot uh, to cover. And so uh, welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice, and you know I'm just really pleased to be here with you. Um, And I am as well, and we are going to cover, I'm looking at the headings here, Um, we're going to talk about some things happening in our world today in the news. Uh, The State of the Union address uh, just happened, so you're going to cover some of that. And what I love is that um, when Woody covers things, he points to the Constitution, so He's going to share some information about that. Then we're going to talk about the new Congress and a little bit about economic recovery if we get there. So, Woody, um, let's start with what's in the news. Our president uh, apparently is, um, although if you if you watch other news channels, they're saying that his approval rating is uh, it's rising. And I'm looking at your statistics here, and you're seeing it as a decline. So I guess the the question would be, you know, cover that, and then where are you getting your information? Yeah, he's um, uh, last week uh, was in uh, uh, a Fox News poll, which is um, uh, fairly accurate. They're right up there with Pew Research and um, Gallup and those. And they had him at 37%. Now, I did uh, read an article this morning um, that's, that said that his po- approval rating is ticking up slightly. Uh, so maybe he's up at 37.5 or 38. He is a, The interesting thing here, though, and, and of course that's 55% disapproval, um, you know, a lot of this happened after the last election, um, sort of a jump on the bandwagon type of thing, and I hope this means a growing reform movement. But um, the thing is, that, that approval rating uh, – does mean a lot. Now, in about the seventh year of George Bush's administration, he was at 36%. And that was with the mainstream media just piling on him day after day after day. Well, this president is supported by the mainstream uh, media. So, 
his approval rating is not as low as it would be if um, if the press were at least objective. Uh, it would even be lower. So it's sort of like uh, the economy, the unemployment rate. Uh, the government says it's 5.8%, but that doesn't include about well, several million people that gave up looking for a job and are not in the statistical pool. So the uh, unemployment rate is probably up around eight and a half, nine percent. Excuse me, the un- the unemployment rate, and and the same thing is true with Obama's or any president's popularity rating. It's not just um, how the people feel; it's about several variables that are going on out there that affect that number. And one variable in Obama's uh, support is that mainstream media. In fact, about 72% of the American people get their news from the mainstream media. Yeah. So it's just there. I couldn't watch it. The thing is, we know that it dropped. We know that it dropped. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that helps. Yeah. Right. And then ISIS, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, it's, you know, they've, they've now uh, got two more hostages as of this uh, recording. Um, and this time um, they are attacking uh, the Chinese government. The Japanese, actually. Oh, Japanese, I'm sorry. And, and this so, is kind of new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because the Japanese government said they were going to go after them with whatever it was, $20 million. So that was the ransom amount that they were asking for. These guys really will not stop at anything, Woody. To me, that is so brash to go over, you know, uh, go to take the hostages from a country that has threatened to fight you and then demanding that amount for ransom. That's just crazy. Yes, they they are still there and they're still strong. I think um, it could be argued that that our our, uh, bombing attacks, our aerial attacks have – have more or less created a situation where we are containing their expansion. Remember how several months ago they were just uh, just expanding like a, a wave uh, mm-hmm. across Iraq. They were even even threatening Baghdad. Uh, so apparently we we have contained them. We have taken them back. We haven't. Uh, but with uh, our air support, uh, Kurds um, and Kurdish and other anti-ISIS uh, groups have taken back some territory. Uh, some oil fields, but uh, they are still there. And an interesting thing here, uh, this is a statement from last night's State of the Union message. The president said, we will continue to hunt down terrorists and dismantle their networks. We have not done that since George Bush was president. Um, So these are brave words that mean nothing. It's it's basically a cloak, uh, an attempt to hide uh, their feeble efforts. That's why ISIS arose in the first place. Uh, we had withdrawn and withdrawn our leadership. We had withdrawn uh, military, and mm-hmm. in so doing, we just sort of said, okay, uh, all you terrorists out there, whoever wants to, just do your thing and take over. Uh, we're not interested anymore. He goes on to say, and we reserve the right to act unilaterally, which we have not done since George Bush was president. That means go on your own, as we have done relentlessly uh, wrong word. It has not been. It's been pinprick. It has not been relentless since I took office to take out terrorists who pose a direct threat to us and our allies. Remember, uh, it was about three years ago. Um, Obama said that Al Qaeda was on the run, and of course they're mm-hmm. not 
on the run at all. They're still very much solid and still operating. So keep an eye on that. Um, President uh, Obama did say last night that he would like to work with Congress uh, towards uh, authorization for military activity against ISIS. I don't know what he means by that. Nobody knows what he means by that. But he apparently uh, wants to do what George Herbert Walker Bush did back in 1990 and what George W. Bush did twice with regards to Afghanistan and Iraq. He wants authorization and therefore money and funding and so on from Congress to conduct military operations against ISIS. Well, the thing is, we're already conducting military operations in the form of aerial attacks. And I understand, although now this has just been hinted at, there are special forces troops working with Kurds and other groups um, and calling in airstrikes and things like that. So we do have some military activity, but no more than 1,500 troops would be involved in that. So does he mean he's going to send in army divisions to destroy ISIS? I doubt that very much. Uh, just making a, a statement, here I am, I'm a, the president, I'm the commander-in-chief, I'm a strong leader, and we're really going to do something about this. Well, we've heard that before. Nonetheless, maybe this time he is serious. Maybe he's getting pressure, and um, this ISIS thing is a real serious threat. Uh, so maybe he is going to be a little stronger than he has in the past. But w watch that story. Uh, continue to follow that story. Okay. And then, of course, uh, the massacre in France at the uh, the Charlie um, Hebdo massacre at the magazine um, with world leaders, you know, joining together, of course, except uh, Putin and Kim Jong and Obama. Uh, so, uh, you know, and then there was all this uh, just sweet Charlie march, you know, that I am Charlie and this... Right. Um, this big thing going on with uh, a very definite slap in the face by the Obama administration of not sending a high-level official there, especially when there was one there. And, and, of course, we heard all the the backlash from that. While that would have been a security nightmare, well, I think, you know, there are some other people there that it would have been a security nightmare to have uh, them there as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it was definitely a slap in the face. Uh, to uh, France from America, but uh, you know, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, and, and you know, they're they are participating with us. They have uh, fighters and, and fighter pilots that have joined our aerial assault on ISIS. I mean, they're one of the few countries in the world that uh, joined us in that. Um, it it would have shown shown respect and solidarity had the president gone. Uh, the other, you know. Security issues? Well, what about security issues for the other leaders? It didn't seem to be a problem. Um, you know, when you do something um, that quickly, and they didn't announce it to the world that there was going to be a great march or anything like that, I don't think that security would have been a serious problem if the president had gone. But if our um, national security agency said that it was, if they have had chatter, and, of course, there are a lot of terrorists out there that would just love to kill the American president, whoever it is. Okay, fine. Like you said, uh, my goodness, the attorney general uh, was there in Paris at the time. Uh, quick phone call. Uh, you know, you're going to 
holder you're going you're going to march with the with the uh, leaders from the other major uh democratic nations and but nothing nothing at all in fact the media is still talking about that and the mainstream media is even yeah. even criticizing the white house over this one and there are other signs by the way if you keep your eyes open and your ears open uh that the mainstream media is beginning to turn against the president after supporting him for six and a half years. Yeah. I, I was shocked um, the other day on, on a, a liberal media channel when um, they were interviewing before the State of the Union, which maybe I should wait until we get to that point, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about it, so I want to share that right now. And they were kind of slamming uh, the uh, whoever it was that was the talking head um, for the president, but they were saying, you know, the president says he wants to work with Congress. So why is he starting with this huge tax hike, which is, you know, definitely a no-go? Is he trying to do this to make the Republicans look bad? And I almost dropped my coffee on my lap. I couldn't believe that they – and I'm thinking, well, of course that's why he's doing it. But I could not believe that they were saying it. And, of course, their bosses are in that billion-dollar range. So they're not real happy True. about yeah. you know being taxed and everything, but but still, um, I could not believe you know. Of course, the answer was you know no 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 and you know whatever. And we know that this works. Well, you've tried this for the last you know almost eight years and it hasn't worked. But okay. So anyway, um, I I did notice that. So I just wanted to to share that with you. And uh, yeah, so, so. yeah, go ahead. Um, that that yeah. Well, let's get back into that when we um, uh, get down to the State yeah. of the Union. But, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we hear these liberal uh, comedians. Uh, John Stewart is one of them. There are two or three more. I don't know who they are. I don't pay attention to that much. But uh, John Stewart, you know, frequently uh, Bill O'Reilly uh, has something going with him on on the O'Reilly Factor on on Fox News, and he has turned his guns on President Obama, uh, making fun of the president, where he had been for the last 12 or 14 years making fun of Republicans, uh, George Bush, uh, Mitt Romney, whoever. Uh, but now he is, uh, his jokes have to do with Obama. So there's a, there's a sea change going on. But, but going back to the French massacre, the larger picture here is that in France, Germany, and Belgium, and even Great Britain, uh, Dozens of terrorist suspects have have been arrested as various countries are rushing to forestall any type of Charlie Hebdo massacre that's been pla planned. In fact, in Belgium, uh, they found a cache of weapons and police uniforms. Apparently, these guys were going to go out with automatic weapons and kill policemen uh, in the cities of Belgium. Now, there are also... And, you know, this is this is where the free world is just kind of getting paralyzed or dumb or something. There are uh, approximately 1,500 European Muslims that have gone to Syria and gone into ISIS and have been trained by ISIS, and then they come back to Europe. Well, guess what? Uh, these are the, uh, the two guys that hit uh, Charlie Hebdo were uh, – were among those 1,500, and there are others, and we have them in the United States. We had two terrorists that left the country, went to Chechnya, 
train and came back and did the Boston bombing thing at the Boston Marathon. And they were on our no-fly list, but we let them back in. Europe has, you know, if these guys leave the country, okay, put them on a definite, solid no-fly list. You do not return, ever. Uh, We're glad you're gone. Uh, That type of thing. So it looks like the Europeans now, with these preemptory arrests, have finally woken up, and we're not going to be the open-handed good guy anymore. You guys are all welcome to come here and do as you please. And then you have the French, the French thing, where in France they um, they have seven or eight no-go zones. They're called. Uh, that's basic. They are basically Muslim enclaves, and uh, French police are not allowed in there at all. It's, it's sort of like the. Uh, um, American Indian reservation system, uh, but more so. So inside those no-go zones, the radicalization of people like the two guys that, that hit Charlie Hebdo uh, can just go untouched, unfettered, even unknown. And the Europeans have got to get smart say, listen, we got a problem. These people didn't come to France to become Frenchmen. They came here to do harm. And... Um, we need to protect our people. But you know, Felice, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, and I'd love to have your opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, and I don't remember who it was, said that Charlie Hebdo brought, the, brought this on themselves. Mm-hmm. By yeah. Everybody knows. Uh, they, all, they also make fun of Christianity. They make fun of, make fun of Christ. Um, free press, free speech, all of that. But you know, having free speech or free press doesn't mean you need to use it to insult people. Do you agree or disagree? Well, <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? it? It is a tough one because you know I definitely don't think insulting. I mean, if they were going to insult, uh, you know, my religion, I would be really upset. But they do that all the time, and they get away with it. Maybe not such a big. Um, magazine is this one but um, you know this is where the, the problem is um, that, that there is a such this such great divide so then you start you know this opens up so many like we need an hour just on this topic Woody. I can on my mind well, that's on all true. the different ways the different ways I could answer this but I, I basically agree I, I think that you know they shouldn't have used it um, just you know, in this regard, which they weren't. I mean, pretty much anything is fair game for that magazine. But, you know, you can't go in there and start killing people. It's just as bad. I mean, I'm very pro-life, but I don't believe that um, to to end abortion, you should go in there and shoot abortionists. That's just not right. So whatever their reasoning for doing the magazine as they wanted, the, the answer was not to go in and just kill. So... You know, I think that um, the solution is definitely um, for them to just let them go, uh, you know, wasn't an option for them either. But, you know, I I really think that there's a lot of parallels you can draw between that and, and, uh, you know, the pro-life movement. I mean, they were just using words and in the abortion situation, they're actually uh, killing babies. And so neither of them is you know, warrants killing people, to, you know, the ends that don't justify the means. But, um, you know, and I, and I think these little terrorist groups are what is really scary to most people because they're, 
these little renegade groups that are just getting through. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of threats back and forth. You know, well, we've already infiltrated the U.S. and da-da-da. And that is the bigger question and the scarier thing to me is, you know, where are these people? What what kinds of things do we have in place? And is our network of of intelligence good enough to catch them, especially in the wake of our commander-in-chief being, um, you know, lacking in some of the leadership of some of the other presidents? So I don't know. You know, I don't know Woody. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough one. It really is. But to my way of thinking, and I agree with you 100%, uh, free speech is free speech and free press is free press, and killing people that that make fun of you or insult you uh, or insult your profit, um, that's not how you deal with it. There are, are, there are strong and aggressive things that you can do to counter that like a massive demonstration uh, in front of the building, uh, I mean, long term. But at the same time, uh, the people at Charlie Hebdo should have known better. There are some ugly, violent people out there, and this has been going on for the last 20 years. Right. It's just not good media. It's not good press uh, right. to do those kinds of things. Uh, so... Nonetheless, um, Europe has a problem. And if Europe oh, has does. a problem, we have a problem. We've got to remember, in it, last fall we talked about uh, al-Baghdadi, the ISIS leader, uh, who said that we're going to send out hit squads throughout the world. That includes the United States. So I have no doubt that they're already here. And are we going to see more of these kinds of attacks uh, in Europe and in North America? And it's uh, not just the Europeans that need to get tight and tough. It's the Americans and the Canadians, too, uh, mm-hmm. because we uh, we could offer the same tar- types of targets. So that is something to keep your eye on. ISIS needs to be destroyed, in my opinion. Uh, the source of the violence needs to be taken out. And uh, that's going to be very, very difficult. So we will see. Um, Next point, um, President Obama continues to release terrorist prisoners from Guantanamo Bay prison where they've been held for many years. These are people that participated in the murder of of American citizens, including 9-11. And he's letting them out, and about Estimates are, intelligence estimates are, that about 40% of them are going back into action. The Senate, uh, members of the Senate have said that they're going to try to block this. Uh, No more releases of murderers, terrorists from Guantanamo, uh, also short nickname uh, Gitmo. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye on that story as well. Yeah, you can't see me sitting here shaking my head in dismay. It's yes. it's horrible. I just can't believe that that it's happening and that he's been able to get away with it and that the American people haven't had this huge, you know, outcry, like, what are you doing? I just don't understand it, you yeah. know. Um, so Well, people, I think, people say that, that Obama is sympathetic to Islam. Other people, uh, more radical, say that he is a Muslim, uh, that he supports Islam. I, I, I would back off a little bit and say he seems to be sympathetic. 
Uh, he wants to be, I think he really wanted to be, and I bet he is a really frustrated guy. He probably paces the hallways of the White House at night saying, how, how do I create world peace? How do I be the great uh, world peace guy um, that everybody will recognize in history? How do I do this? And he can't do it. He's going about it totally the wrong way. These people don't understand uh, peace and negotiations and mediation. They understand power. They understand raw power. So uh, bless his heart for trying if that's what he is doing. He doesn't want to take action against anybody in the Muslim world because he is no longer the peacemaker. But the statement last night in the State of the Union uh, that he will uh, uh, like to work with uh, Republicans in Congress for military authorization, uh, does that mean he's given up on being the great Mahatma Gandhi of the 21st century? Um, That's something to keep an eye on. I would say listen to his words, but uh, he frequently says things that are cloaks or untruths. or exaggerations, nonetheless, um, uh, we'll have to just wait and see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, um, moving forward, where we've got about um, we're about 25 minutes into the program, Woody. So, okay. I think we're we're just going to be in our in the news um, area if we if we because I'd like to get to the State of the Union. So. I think um, on some of these things, um, you have something about Duke University, the Pew Research, as well as um, Jeb Bush taking heat over Common Core. I think the rest of this I, I want to just scan, but I really want to hone in on Jeb Bush taking heat over Common Core because that is something as homeschoolers we are not happy about, uh, nor do we want to become compliant. And I know you have uh, taken great strides in West Virginia where you live against Mm -hmm. Common Core. So let's just scroll down to that one, and then um, everyone can look at the show notes and and get that other information there. Yeah, that, um, and those, uh, you know, just um, uh, start start doing Internet research on both both, um, the Pew, that that Pew research on American families is excellent. I mean, they're just a whole whole, uh, broad range of categories. regarding American families that they have explored. And it is very useful and just kind of shocking in in some places and discouraging Mm -hmm. in others. And the Duke University thing, there's all kinds of material on that. By the way, Duke University started that policy to allow uh, the call to prayer um, would be um, broadcast on some kind of a speaker system. And then they, after a backlash, they withdrew it. They were the first university to do so. So that's what the Europeans have been doing for uh, many decades, just making concessions, concessions, concessions. And our, you know, our policy has always been, if you want to come to America, to be an American, great. We'd love to have you. But if you want to come to America and be something else and not blend in with us and not merge with us, well, you just stay where you are. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't don't really uh, need that, but uh, yeah, Common Core uh, here in West Virginia, uh, Republicans took over both houses of the state legislature for the first time in like 70 years, and on the floor right now, even as we speak, is a bill to repeal Common Core. And so a lot of us are in support of that. We're doing a lot of talking, emailing, phone calling, and uh, trying to get this to happen. Now, Jeb Bush is on the, on the record, Felice. He, you heard him say it, right? 
I did. So I sat there, and I'll see if I can find that video for you. Okay. With this neat little smile, he's sitting there explaining what a great thing Common Core is and why it's a great thing. And as he spoke, uh, it occurred to me very clearly that Jeb Bush has never even read Common Core. I am 99% sure he has never picked up the document. He's a mm-hmm. part of a group. And uh, he's not the kind of guy we want in the White House, if that's where he's coming from. Wow. So um, yeah. he didn't do well in the um, – if you go on down, um, this was a poll of conservatives. It was basically a, a magazine called Weekly Standard, to which I subscribe. And so the people that uh, that get this magazine are, are solidly conservative people. We're not radical or extremist or crazy or – uh, we don't uh, say that um, Obama is is not a citizen of the United States or that he is a secret is Muslim. We don't do that. Um, we just look at we look at all of the issues and and make decisions. In this case, it's very interesting. It was a poll, and I participated in it of about I think think fifteen hundred uh, readers uh, subscribed. And if you look at this poll, uh, Scott Walker comes out on top in both categories. Now, the first number, as you've already seen, is simply you were mentioned uh, somewhere mm-hmm. on, on the poll or on the ballot. And 18, the second number, is how many first place. So you can see that uh, Scott Walker, the uh, very successful and and um, very uh, glib uh, governor of Wisconsin, a, a state uh, reelected. Uh, this is a state that usually leans Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, so he's not—he's he, not a moderate and he's not a conservative. He's somewhere in between. He's sensible, but once he makes a stand, he keeps it. I would say he probably leans more to the conservative than to the Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney moderate. And then you see Ted Cruz and Ben Carson. So the first three are conservatives essentially. Mitt Romney comes in fourth among conservatives, and Jeb Bush is sixth, so Romney is edging him out. And the big talk right now, and you can look on down that list, the big the big talk right now is Mitt Romney versus Jeb Bush. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> maybe, you know, this is so early, I and mean, the election is so far away. Uh, this can change drastically and radically once these people start getting in front of the microphones, participating in debates. Um, people are going to rise and people are going to fall. But if you take a look at the top, um, probably the, I would say the top six down to Jeb Bush, those are your six serious contenders. Bobby Jindal, governor of Louisiana, I'm not sure. Uh, so maybe I wouldn't put him there. I would put him, uh, I would say, the top five. So anyway, this is a story to watch. Watch it unfold over the next several months, almost two years. We all know a year and a half and until we finally get to the election in 2016. Meantime, over on the Democrat side, it uh, looks like we're talking about Hillary Clinton running unopposed. No primary elections. If she has no opposition, they don't have to spend their money on that. And um, how will that affect her campaign? Will it help or hurt? Um, those debates are going on right now, so uh, get a get in on that.
But did you want to get back to Common Core? What's going on in Florida? Um, no, I actually want to um, go on to the State of the Union, but we're going to have to take a break. And then um, also in the show notes, you know, that's a really good list that you've got um, got there. So I just want to recommend that people take a look at, at uh, our podcast, and the t- title is State of the World. And we're going to take a really quick break for commercial, and we'll be right back. All right. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson, This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or... Go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Hi, and welcome back. This is an issue of current issues in the Constitution. And today, the topic that we are talking about is the state of the world. And my name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am here with Professor Wilson and uh, you know, Professor Wilson created this class on American government and um, the elections a couple of years ago, but it is still very relevant, a uh, lot of really good information, especially with the upcoming elections. So I recommend you check it out at the Media Angels shopping cart. Well, Woody, we've covered quite a few things that are happening in the news, and I really uh, want to just cover a little bit about the State of the Union, um, because in, in a year, this will all be passe, but some really good points that you bring out in Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution. So do you want to go over that, that with the uh, listeners? Yes, everybody. if everybody has a, a copy of Article 2, Section 3 in front of them, um, that would be very, very helpful. Uh, and it simply begins, he, meaning the president, this is out of Article 2, he shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Now, remember, the um, President of the United States is the chief executive. He sits at the top of several agencies whose job it is to carry out and enforce the law. It is not their job to make the law, as some of them have been doing, and uh, that is going to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, but, it's, but it's his job to oversee the uh application of the law, the carrying out of the law. So it's only natural that he has a great deal of, that his, he and his people have a great deal of knowledge and insight about what the problems are and how to solve them. So it's his job with the State of the Union message and other types of communication as well that go on all year long. We don't just wait till um, January uh, to tell Congress what the problems are and what kind of legislation we need to deal with the problem. Right now, the president should be telling Congress, we have 
people streaming across our southern border, and the numbers are growing, the millions and the millions, and it's causing problems in all the states, communities, and so on, and we uh, need legislation from the Congress to put up the money and the resources to stop this influx. He sh that's what the kind of thing that he should be doing. And I, I think that when he um, when he said that he wanted to work with Congress to get military authorization for ISIS, uh, that's the kind of thing that we expect from the commander in chief and from the chief executive in both cases of president. Now this this of course began in 1890 with George Washington's first uh, State of the Union message. He addressed both houses of Congress. Uh, and he did so again um, in 1894, as did John Adams uh, when he was president. But then when Thomas Jefferson became president, um, it is said that he had the voice of a woman, very high-pitched, and he was very embarrassed to speak in public, and so he refrained from it. So he sent them uh, his message, uh, written on parchment. Now notice in that one sentence, well, it's not even a sentence. It ends in a semicolon. There is no mention of the format for delivering the State of the Union message. So it's up to the president. So it stayed that way. Um, president after president sent a written message to Congress of the State of the Union. And Woodrow Wilson revived uh, the old um, George Washington precedent and began to address Congress again. And in the 1920s, it was carried on radio. Uh, for the first time in history, uh, it was always called the annual message to to the Congress. And F President Franklin D. Roosevelt called it the State of the Union message. And he also had quite a radio audience, of course, during the Great Depression and World War II. Uh, the people, American people were, were really engaged. And then, of course, in the late 1950s, or early 60s, probably early 60s, I'm not sure, um, uh, all of a sudden, the State of the Union message was televised. And so that's where we are with that, and that's why we had last night what we had last night. Uh, there are more interesting things in Section 3, and you can uh, consider those at your leisure. And that is followed by a um, very simplistic characterization of the difference between a Republican and a Democrat. And if you magnify uh, these numbers to larger scales, and the policies to larger scales, then you really truly have the difference between a Republican and a Democrat. But moving on to the State of the Union message, in my opinion, the theme was conflict. Um, the president would say, I want to work with Congress, I want to work with Congress, and he would say, I'm going to veto, I'm going to veto. <laughs> if you if you want to work with Congress, uh, you know, the very first thing, the Keystone Pipeline, which they have been playing politics with for six years now, they say they're still researching it, they're still studying it, environmental impact studies and all those kinds of things. That only takes three or four months. They've been doing it for over six years. And instead of saying, I'd like to work with Congress so we can settle this Keystone Pipeline issue, he says, I'm going to veto it a whole slew of vetoes. He's going to veto anything that comes out of Congress that would that would uh, take away from Obamacare, or excuse me, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, he mm -hmm. wants no tinkering with that whatsoever, and he's going to get it. Financial regulations, after um, 
when Obama back in 2008, 9, and 10 had a Democratic Congress, they passed severe regulations that really crippled and suppressed uh, uh, the finance aspects of our economy. And you don't do that without uh, suffering economic consequences of a deleterious nature. And so Republicans, of course, are people that they, we want we want um, businesses, corporations, we want them regulated, sure, but we don't want them choked to death because these are the right. people that create the wealth that you and I use to buy our houses or send our kids to college or to set up a retirement fund, those kinds of things. They're the people that create the jobs in which we are badly of need at this point. And he also wants to uh, veto anything coming out of Congress that will interfere with his unconstitutional executive order regarding am amnesty for illegal immigrants. And there were some other things, too. But you don't say, I want to work with Congress, and then say, I'm going to veto everything that I don't like. So, okay, yeah. what is that? A king? Is that a president or is that a king? Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And then, of course, to be expected from this kind of president, uh, tax hikes on high earners, they always say that. Well, we want to tax the rich. And every time I've noticed over, over my 50 or 60 years uh, as a working person, well, probably 50 years or 40, I don't know, somewhere around there, Felice, I've been working for a long time. Every, I noticed yeah. that every time they said we're going to uh, raise taxes on the rich, my taxes went up. And I was never rich. So that's just another political gimmick that they do to get support for tax increases and tax hikes of various types. Uh, so he wants taxes on high earners. And here's another thing. In the next one, the free community college, my gosh, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. Free community college, the federal government would cover 75% and the states would fund the rest. Well, who asked West Virginia if they're willing to spend that kind of money? Uh, nobody did. So he knows these things are not going to pass. So, and, and where is this come. money coming from, Woody? You, the states exactly. Don't it's going to come. It's, it's going to come from us, the come, American taxpayer. It's going, come, it's going to come from our paychecks. Exactly. That's right. It would, it would require a tax increase, and of course, Congress isn't going to pass that, and he knows it. So why is he doing this? And again, the next one, he called for Congress to raise a minimum wage. He knows they're not going to raise a minimum wage. Republicans don't do that. So why is he at lower down payment requirements on qualified applicants, meaning essentially lower middle class or poor people, for FHA mm -hmm. loan? And apparently he doesn't remember, but I remember very clearly that's what caused the big financial collapse in 2007 in the first place. Right. We allowed these people to buy houses without down payments, without any credit requirements, and then when they couldn't pay and it grew and grew and grew, the whole thing collapsed like a house of cards. Now here he is wanting to do it again. And he know that, that he knows that that is not going to pass. So what what is he doing? I think he's laying the groundwork for well, first of all, he's responding to his liberal controllers. I don't think this uh, man Barack Obama, I don't think he is his own man. I think he is controlled and has been from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He was um, located. He was nurtured. He was trained. He was taught. 
and he was brainwashed and he was gotten into the White House and he is controlled by the liberal uh, somebody in the liberal community and this is um, what they want this is their socialist agenda uh, right down to the brass buttons so he's carrying it out and he is also by doing this laying the foundation um, of the Democratic Party for the 2016 election trying to rally the people who would benefit from all of these things like, you know, the minimum wage the FHA loans um, free community college so the Democrats want it, and Republicans are saying, we can't afford this, and who are you going to vote for? You know, if if you would like to have free community college, if you don't have the money for community college, that sort of thing. So all of this in the State of the Union message. So he bragged about his record. He bragged about the economy, which is far from healthy and sure, I mean, he was basing that on July, August, September of 2014. You know, one quarter does not a successful economy make. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see on that. There's a lot of things still wrong with the economy. Maybe we'll get to that. And uh, moving on, uh, there's his amnesty plan, 5 million law-abiding undocumented immigrants uh, given amnesty and allowed to stay and given a path to citizenship and driver's license, and all of that stuff. Uh, and we've talked about that before, and that is an ongoing saga. So keep your eyes on that story. It is very important. And, of course, as you know, uh, several 26, 27 states by now have joined a lawsuit against that executive order, and Congress um, is working to uh, file in court also. I haven't heard any more from that since the last time we talked. He did use um, his executive authority to normalize relations with Cuba. He should have consulted with the Senate on that. The Senate is, uh, does have powers in Article One, Section 8, and you can look that up in regards to treaties and um, diplomacy, foreign diplomacy, those kinds of things. He should have consulted with Congress, the leadership of Congress at least, on this. Now, I, I do, I don't know, I might uh, make myself unpopular here, but I do agree with uh, Obama on this one. We've had um, embargo on Cuba for 50 years. It has done nothing but hurt the Cuban people uh, in terms of medicine, food, and other kinds of things. And um, we are trading with communist China, with uh, communist Vietnam. We have had relationships with communist North Korea. And we still do. We send them fuel oil free of charge. Why would we keep an embargo and a freeze on relationships with our southern neighbor? That just didn't make, never did make sense to me. Anyway, um, that is something uh, for some research and consideration. Of course, he pretty much withdrew all the sanction from Iran. And people in Congress are talking about putting the sanctions back on. And last night in the State of the Union, he said that he would veto that. He talked about cybersecurity reform, uh, uh, brave words. This is something that, that we've been working on for a couple of decades. Um, nothing new there. Cybersecurity has become a big problem. And um, 
the recent Sony thing is just uh, one example. And like we said uh, two weeks ago, we've been hacked by several countries trying to get into our Pentagon, into our White House, um, into our National Security Agency, uh, terrorist groups. And these are not stupid people. They're as smart as, well, maybe they're not as smart as we are. Or maybe they are and just don't have the resources we have. Um, 82% of all the world's new technology is created in the United States. So I don't think we're going to have any difficulties uh, with cybersecurity. I think that we can uh, uh, find ways to take care of that. But essentially, um, that's my take on the State of the Union message, Felice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and um, I want to go on and let's just touch on the new Congress and uh, what uh, the Constitution says in Article 1, Section 5, and Clause 2, and you're going to go through some of that. Yes, each uh, each house may determine the rules of its proceedings. The Constitution doesn't do that. The president doesn't do it. The states don't do it. Each house determines the rules of its own proceedings. Each house can punish its members for disorderly behavior. In fact, there have been uh, congressmen kicked out of Congress. And with the current concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. All right, Section 7. Uh, and this has to do with the legislation uh, that you're going to be seeing, or that we're already seeing, uh, that's headed for the president's desk and uh, many of them for his veto pen. Section 7, all bills for raising revenue, the budget in other words, shall originate in House of Representatives. Why the House? Why not the Senate? Because the House is closer to the people. Uh, members of the House live in small districts. And they are known, they are, used, they are residents of that district. Uh, there are people like you uh, that could someday run for the House of Representatives uh, from your uh, community, your uh, county and, and town and city uh, communities. Um, so they gave, since they felt it was the most important, they gave the budget, the origination of the budget to the House of Representatives. Now, now notice, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills. There are no bills aimed to become law that do not have to pass both houses of Congress, as we see in the next section. Every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate, there it is, must pass mm-hmm. both, shall, before it become a law, be presented to the President of the United States. If he approve, he shall sign it. But if not, he shall return it with his objections, meaning veto, to that house in which it shall have originated. And that house then shall enter the objections at large on their journal and proceed to reconsider it. That means they can rewrite it. Uh, they can address his objections. and um, Or they can, uh, well, well, we'll get into that. If, if after such reconsideration, two-thirds of that house shall agree to pass the bill, and here it is again, both houses, it shall be sent together with the objections to the other house, by which it shall likewise be reconsidered. And if approved by two-thirds of that house, it shall become a law. So if it gets a two-thirds vote, that's called overriding the veto. But they can. They don't have to do that. They can simply address his objections in the uh, language of the bill, pass it in both houses, send it back. This time he signs it because now he's happy with it. After all, he's the guy, you've got to give the president that kind of power. 
He's the guy mm-hmm. that's got to carry out the law. He has got to be the chief diplomat, the chief executive, the commander-in-chief. Um, he has to have a a very significant impact on legislation that comes to pass. Okay? Right. So, go ahead, please. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, so what do we need to overthrow a veto? A two-thirds vote in both houses. Okay. And that so is very need. difficult to get. I think I might have mentioned last time that uh, in all of history, only 2% of presidential vetoes have been overridden. It, and that, most of those were um, uh, the Reconstruction period after the Civil War when Andrew Johnson was president and radical Republicans from the North the South, uh, were, were the Congress. The South had not been allowed back in yet. So they mm-hmm. overrode several of his vetoes easily. Uh, not so easy anymore. I don't remember, Felice, the last time a veto was overridden. I just do not remember. Okay. It's been a very Cause, long time. Because it's but you know we have we have with, you know we have the vote in place if if we we wanted to do this. That's what I was asking. Well, you know, in the uh, both in the House and the Senate, you're going to have to have a lot of Democrats join you. Mm-hmm. to override it. And I, I'm thinking, and I wish somebody would do a study and I keep looking for it, I'm thinking that they might be able to override the president on the Keystone Pipeline. And I've heard a lot of Democrats, even that uh, far-left liberal that people are talking about, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, who um, had negative things to say about the uh, tax on medical instruments that's a part of the Affordable Care Act. So you might, you know, something like that, okay, we're going to repeal that tax. Right. Um, We're not going to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but we're going to repeal parts of it. You might get enough Democrats on something like that and Keystone um, to override, and we just don't know yet. That information is not available. All right. Now, moving on, um, okay, talking about the override, but in all such cases, the votes of both houses shall be determined by yeas and nays and the names of the persons. You can imagine this back in the 18th century. The names of the persons voting for and against the bill shall be entered on the journal of each house respectively. If any bill shall not be returned by the president within these 10 days, Sunday's accepted. After it shall have been presented to him, the same shall be a law. Sometimes presidents just don't act on a bill. They don't want to veto it, but at the same time, they don't want their uh, name on it. So they just lay it on their desk. Ten days later, it becomes a law without his signature or his active support. So the same shall be a law in manner as if he had signed it. Now, here's the caveat. Unless the Congress, by their adjournment, prevent its return, in which case it shall not be a law. Okay, so Congress uh, sends him the bill. Three days later, they adjourn. Um, and if he doesn't, he knows they're going to adjourn. If he doesn't return it in three days, it's a law. And so sometimes uh, Congress has tried that. So this basically governs uh, the uh, separation of powers and the shared responsibility for legislation between the executive and the legislative branch. This section, uh, Section 7, uh, describes that. Now, we touched on this one, um, this next item, the last time. The new Congress, the thing that kind uh, kind of stands out to me is the new Congress is 80% white and 80% male. So 80% white male. 
And um, that's a little too much, isn't it? Women are 53% of the population, but then again, women are also mothers. They're not, as, not so inclined to get in business and law. And, and th those are not men's fields. There are plenty of uh, uh, females that, that get into what in 1900 were solidly uh, male occupations. Uh, but nonetheless, to see 80% white male, 92% Christians, that doesn't really represent the uh, the great, great spectrum of the American people, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, white, whites are 62% of the population. They're 80% of the new Congress. And males are 47% of the population, but they're 80% of the Congress. 92% Christian, okay. Um, I think it's like 82%. So it's not exactly, it never will be, I suppose, a completely perfect reflection uh, of the uh, various differences in our society. Uh, but there it is. And in the House, of course, you have 246 Republicans, 188 Democrats. Um, I did the math on that, I forget what I was, but I think uh, 246 is about 58 or 60%, uh, maybe not that much uh, of the House. As a, but it's a margin of 58 votes. And, it, and significantly, and again, this was a huge wave election. It's the biggest Republican advantage in 70 years. And we're seeing this in several states, too, including West Virginia, my very own. Now, in the Senate, we have 54 Republicans, 44 Democrats, two independents that caucus and normally uh, with the Democrats. But independents have a tendency to be conservative on economic issues. Uh, so they might um, want to join with Republicans um, on the Keystone Pipeline uh, or other kinds of economic matters. Are we just about out of time? or? Um, I'd say we can go on a little bit more. We are out of time, but I want to see if we can cover, um, unless you want to bring up, um, I don't know. Under minor, minor glitches. Minor, yeah. minor glitches, glitches, that's pretty much uh, old hat now, but I just wanted you to know that what happened that was uh, basically sensationalized by the media, it always happens. Every time there's an election, every two years, there is uh, debate in both the House and the Senate about who the new majority leader is going to be, who the new Speaker of the House. There are always challenges uh, right. to the previous Speaker and majority leader and so on and so forth, so... There were a couple of resign one resignation um, about um, uh, from Congress, uh, Michael Grimm of New York, who was pled guilty in court to a fa felony tax evasion. He would have been thrown out uh, uh, by the House, but he uh, saw that coming and decided to resign. And then, you know another controversial story: Majority Whip Steve Scalise. Well, when he was first campaigning, uh, he, uh, he he said. He said, I was a brand-new candidate. I've never done this before. I had one aide working with me, and I was willing to speak to any group that I could speak to because I needed votes. Uh, so he spoke to a group called the Europe, American European Unity and Rights Organization, which well, if you just read the title, you don't realize that that's a racist, white supremacist group. So he spoke to them, and um, 
I guess the mainstream media kept it buried until he was elected and the Congress opened, and so they brought it up and demanded his resignation. He refused to resign, and uh, the House of Representatives supports him. It's called freedom of speech. Uh, there's uh, no law against speaking to um, a European-American uh, unity and rights organization. So glitches like that we always have. It is nothing new. It's been going on for more than 200 years. Now, right now, there are five bills in motion. Um, I think they're all in the Senate because the House already passed these, and they died in the Senate, so the House has mm -hmm. repassed them. Now, so we have the Keystone Pipeline, and we have regulatory reform, which would limit what was called the Dodd-Frank Act that put these severe regulations on our financial institutions. I mean, these guys uh, are the people... They're the banks. That's where we put our money, and we want them to invest it. We want it to grow, and we want to get interest return on our investments um, for those of us who uh, get into that sort of thing. And so the third uh, bullet kind of is separate, it, but it's a part of that regulatory reform that would alter a single section of the Dodd-Frank, Dodd was the senator and Frank was the representative, both Democrats back uh, when uh, Democrats controlled Congress. Um, and, and so this, this section would free up banks uh, to get back into the investment money growth thing again. Mm -hmm. Fourthly, a bill to block Obama's amnesty plan is in the works. And I like this one, Hire More Heroes Act. This This would be... He, uh, veterans would be exempt from uh, the Affordable Care Act as a requirement to businesses. Um, when they get to 50 employees, then they have to provide health care. So if they hired 10, uh, let's say they had 49 uh, workers and they hired 10 veterans, they would have 59, but still... They only have 49 that are responsible for to the Affordable Care Act. So they avoid the employee mandate, which is coming into effect this year. So uh, this is, okay, so this is one way uh, to help businesses. It's also, it's another way to help veterans. So you're getting two birds with one stone with this one. And of course, um, all of these should probably, we could expect, be vetoed by the president. Economic recovery, third quarter, 5% growth. That's great. We got to vote it. We've got to grow the GDP, the gross domestic product, at 4% to keep up with population growth. For the last six and a half years, we've been down around 1% most of the time. So we've got one good quarter. And, um, and you know what, Democrats Woody? Are, yes. I'm, before we go on, I think we're going to stop here because we are way over time. So can we I think that's a good you? idea, Felice, yeah. because I was starting to talk really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we can that's just cut this out. And I want to talk about the economic recovery, and I also want to discuss um, the uh, the cheap uh, gas prices. As you um, you know, you've got that as one of our of, of the notes here, and also I'm going to be sending you an article of concern to online sellers that has come down uh, the pike about this VAT tax that uh, is being imposed about on people who uh, sell online by our European uh, nation. So it's really interesting. Um, right. And that's coming up, and there's a lot of con controversy over that. So um, 
yeah, let's pick up with the um, economic recovery in the next session and uh, and go from there. Sound sound like a plan? Sounds good. Two weeks. All right. Yes, we that would we meet. Be, yeah. That would be well, just look fourth. at. Yeah, look at your, your calendars, everyone, and what I recommend is that you follow the show calendar on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. So if you follow that calendar, it helps you to um, stay up on when the classes are because it's always in there uh, weekly. It will tell you, um, you know, when when our next session is. And then... Um, you know, also where the replays are and that sort of thing. So that always helps. So, Woody, as always, it's um, great having you on and getting informed. And, you know, my, sometimes my blood pressure rises a little bit during these sessions <laughs> because I there's do. like so much we can do. But, um, you know, we're, we're needing, we need to be informed and we need to let our kids know about this, which is why I'm delighted that you continue uh to share your insights with us and put it in such a great form that is available in the show notes. So thank you so much, Woody. Thank you. I appreciate right. it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.